Hi there, I'm Mikey. Hi, I'm Corey. And we're with the Retro Renegades Pop Culture Power Hour. And we are the official podcast partners of Grand Comic Fest. Grand Comic Fest is going on in Grand Island, Nebraska, April 21st through 23rd. Dude, I'm so excited for all the celebrities that they're going to have this year. They've got a great list of celebrities this year. Oh, yeah. And you know what? We're going to get to know those celebrities right here on this show. Yes, we are. So, we want to thank you guys for joining us. Please check out Grand Comic Fest on Facebook to get all the information. Or, you can check out the show notes. Get your tickets. Meet us in Grand Island. We'll be in Podcast Alley. But right now, we're going to get to know one of these great celebrity guests. Because we got to interview them. Yes, we did. So, please enjoy this show. And we'll see you in Grand Island. Grand Comic Fest. See you guys soon. What's up? It's Mikey. Hey, this is Corey. And we're back here with Retro Renegade's Pop Culture Power Hour, the Grand Comic Fest Guest Spotlight Series. So the purpose of this uh, series is to let you get to know the celebrities we are interviewing. And maybe you can come out and have something to talk to them about when you see them at Grand Comic Fest 5. That's uh, April 21st through 23rd in Grand Island, Nebraska. Yes, it is. And as you know, we will be there. We will. We'll be in, uh, what, Podcast Alley. We're going to be in Podcast Alley. But these celebrities will be there to meet you, to take pictures, to sign autographs, and just answer your questions. So uh, without further ado, what do you say we get into uh, this episode's featured guest? I'm ready, dude. All right, here we go. today we are joined by, boy, I mean, the, the list goes on here, on and on. Actor, you were a producer and creator, you were a writer, musician, um, philanthropist. Um, Mr. Wesley Yor, how are you doing today, Wesley? I'm fine, Mikey. How are you? I'm doing great, and uh, we're, we're joined by Corey here, as, as always. So, hey, Corey. Uh, how you doing, bud? Good. Nice Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, yes, sir. Anytime. Well, and, and you know, we want to um, let everybody know that you are going to be at Grand Comic Fest 5, uh, April 21st through 23rd in Grand Island, Nebraska. So anybody... I'm so excited. And I'm also coming because, you know, it mostly from Land of the Lost. Uh, you know, I played Will Marshall, but Kathy Coleman, who played my sister Holly, is also going to be coming. And we're, we're actually bringing, I think we're bringing the yellow raft for photos, like... In the opening sequence, we go over a waterfall and scream, and so fans can get in the yellow raft with us for photos. And we, you know, we like to have a lot of fun. We figure if we're going to be at the shows. Let's do something more than just sit at a table. So oh, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, we have fun. And Kathy's like my real sister. We are so close. Yeah, I've uh, I, I did some, doing some research. I uh, I watched some interviews with you guys, and you guys still pick on each other, don't you? <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I I, I actually um, I, I live in Mexico half the year at Puerto Vallarta. I'm here now, and uh, Kathy just spent two weeks uh, here at my place, and she just moved to Palm Springs to be near me when I'm in California. So 
we are really brother and sister in real life. That's awesome. Well, I can't promise it's going to be as nice as Mexico here when you guys show up, but we'll do our best. Well, I should hope so, for goodness sake. <laughs> you know, I've never, I don't think I've ever been to Nebraska. I am so excited. I, I've always wanted to go, and, and it's been on my bucket list, and I was so happy to be invited. Well, and we're, we're, glad, we're glad that you're going to be joining us. We want to kind of give people a chance to get to know you before they come to, to meet you, so they might have something to, uh, you know, to talk to you about or to ask you at the convention. So Perfect. I just, uh, let's start at the beginning. How did you get your start in, in acting and in show business, and who were some of your early influences? Ah, let's see, I played an oak tree at a play in, in when I was at five years old in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So, I, mean, <laughs> I, I think we've all been there. <laughs> exactly. I think that was the root of my, <laughs> my acting career. No pun intended uh, yeah. there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was yeah, fully intended. Bad. Yes. <laughs> like, it's only going to get worse, I promise. Yeah, that's good. So, <laughs> oh, you're going to fit right in with us. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I, I just always wanted, you know, I was, I was, my family was edu- were educators in, in Mississippi, and, and I stood up when I was five and go, I'm going to be an actor. And they looked at me like I had just landed from another planet. <laughs> and, and I think I had. But I just always, you know, in school, and I would always, you know, try to find something to be in, and then, uh, and, and then I ended up. Uh, my mother moved us to Las Vegas. She was heading up the drug abuse program for the state of Nevada. My dad took off and, and left us, and when I was two, and she went back to school and got her PhD and became a psychologist and a teacher professor. Oh, nice. So anyway, we, we went to Vegas, and I was working a temp job at the Frontier Hotel after school and met Robert Goulet and Carol Arts, and they said, we want you to drive our mobile home back on the East Coast when we do I Do, I Do, the musical and, and their concert tour. And so at the age of, I think, 18 or 19, I'm, I fly to the East Coast to drive their mobile home, and it was this Dodge Trapco motorhome that said the Bob Goulet Show on the side. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and here I am. This kid, little kid that never been to New York City driving these celebrities around. Oh, wow. So, from there, uh, you, you uh, like you said, Land of the Lost was, was one of your, your orig- you know, initial roles that you did. Yeah, it was one of, I was on Days of Our Lives. I played Mike Horton, uh, who, who later became a doctor for almost 10 years on Days of Our Lives. And that was amazing. And then I got Land of the Lost, so I was filming Days of Our Lives and Land of the Lost, playing Will Marshall, at the same time for three years. And and they were both NBC shows, and that's how I could do it. So uh, NBC agreed that I could film my scenes on Days of Our Lives in the morning. <laughs> so I, so the cast hated me, because for three years I would go in early, film my scenes, and leave. And they had to wait till I finished. So and, and then I go over to, to Goldwyn Studio. I mean, to Goldwyn or Studios to film Land of the Lost. So in the morning, I'm crying that my girlfriend's leaving me, that the mafia's after me, that I'm having all these problems. And the afternoon, I'm going, "Run, Holly, run! There's a dinosaur." So, <laughs> so, so you had Days of Our Lives was was before Land of the Lost then. Yeah, Days of Our Lives was just slightly before it. I actually went to a a friend of mine was. Okay, one of my best friends, uh, guy named Bruce Ostrandard, said, "Hey, I've got a friend named Sid Croft. Uh, you want to go go hang out by his pool?" <laughs> and I, I go, "Sid Croft? You mean Sid Marty Croft?" He goes, "Yeah. I mean, I'm just a kid." And so we go to Sid's house. It's just it's just like the four of us, five of us. 
And I'm at Sid's house. I just met Sid, and he goes, hey, listen, I've got a new show. You're perfect for this show. Here's a number. Call this cast, the casting director uh, on Monday and, and, and have her have, have you come in. And I went in, and they gave me the part. Wow. That's cool. So they basically cast everyone around you. They did. Uh, Sid actually, uh, you know, Sid has a Sunday podcast on Instagram every Sunday. It's fabulous. Uh, And he actually said that, yeah, that's why the guy that played Spencer Milligan and played my dad looks so much like me. And Kathy came in and auditioned, I think, six times. I read with her and and different people, and of course, she was the best. And that's that's why why, uh, Spencer Milligan looks so much like me because they cast him to be my dad. Oh, that's great. That, yeah, that's that's awesome. So, and by the way, Spencer is still with us and uh, retired, and he's and we we're still very close. And and Phil Paley, who played Chaka, the Monkey Boy, all of us are like family. We are, you know, unlike a lot of shows. If you, if you do a lot of comic cons and conventions, you know that there's several shows, which I will not name, that uh, <laughs> some of the actors don't even speak to each other anymore. Oh yeah, we are truly truly a family and we like each other we like best friends so that's the way it should be i mean at least in my Absolutely. opinion you know and uh yeah so and so kathy and i were you know we're, we're doing a whole bunch of shows this season because i can't i can't believe i'm saying this but next year land of the lost celebrates its 50th oh wow anniversary 50 50 wow. how the heck did that happen <laughs> but uh so we're we're doing a lot of shows this year for Comic Cons. So what what were some of your uh, your experiences? Uh, we'll start with Land of the Lost. What were some of your experiences and you know memories of that? You know, being chased by dinosaurs, or you know, I I was a kid when this was out, and, and you know, Corey was as well. Slee stacks scared the hell out of me. Uh huh. <laughs> so, what were some of your experiences? I understand there's only three Slee stack costumes as well. Yeah, there were only three. Mike, Mike Westmore, who did all the. If you're a Star Trek fan, which I certainly am, I'm a Trekkie, and uh, Mike Westmore created all the monsters for Star Trek in, in the uh, for many many years, from the original on to some of the the, the remakes. And David Gerald was our head writer. David wrote Trouble with Tribbles for mm. Star Trek. Nice. And he got all the Star Trek writers like DC Fontana, Larry Nivens, Spinrad. He even got Walter Koenig. Oh, wow. Who played Chekhov. Walter Koenig created Enoch, the talking sleestack. He wrote the first episode, uh, which introduced Enoch. Uh, and so the sleestack, you know, they, they were, David wrote that they were going to be like lizard like and And Mike Westmore in his garage created these amazing creatures and and they wanted them to be very tall so they found they contacted a manufacturer of a wetsuit company and found the tallest wetsuits they could get and they cast the the actors that were playing the the sleeve stack were huge they were seven feet tall they're all basketball players from ucla Hmm. and in fact if you're a basketball plant a fan i don't know if you guys are but uh bill lambeer of the detroit pistons Hmm. uh who was the, known as the bad boy of basketball, Phil was, when he was in, in college, he was a sleaze deck. Oh, wow. And, yes, they were. I mean, it was, it was, it was, and when that sleaze deck came on, I think it was the third episode, I believe third episode, the ratings went through the roof, and it became NBC's number one show. Wow. That, that's really, they, that's really cool that they, you know, the, the Star Trek crossover and, and that you know that the, the now it's a basketball 
crossover as well. I know we, we, Bill and Bears, if, if, if for all you basketball fans out there, you know Bill's reputation. He was really kind of the bad boy. Yeah. And so a few years ago, Kathy and I actually do the Star Trek convention. So he, he would say he was the Dennis Rodman of the 70s. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. He was, <laughs> but, but not the nicest guy. And so he was, a few years ago, he was uh, coaching the Aces, the women's basketball team out of Las Vegas. And Kathy and I were in Vegas doing the Star Trek convention at the Rio Hotel, which we do every year. And in fact, we're the only show other than Star Trek they allow in because of our connection with Star Trek. Oh, wow. And we had made arrangements with the head of the league to go surprise Bill. So he's coaching the Aces. So we sneak over to, I think his MGM, where the, 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 the arena was. And all the ladies, uh, his, his basketball team, they knew we were coming. And they had eight by tens of a sleigh stack. And when we walked <laughs> in, they held it up on the, in front of their face. And Bill, who's like seven feet tall, is looking around going, what's going on out here? And Kathy and I walk in. And he's like, it takes him a moment to figure out what the heck is going on because we hadn't seen him in all these years. And it, we had the best time with him. And after it was all over, we took, you know, the, the news was there, took all the photos and stuff like that. And he had to go, I got to go coach. And so he <laughs> left. And the head of the league comes up to us and goes, he goes, Wesley, I have known Bill since he played college ball. I have never seen him smile this much. <laughs> and it was like, okay. That's great. <laughs> but we, you know, we were all very close. And um, we, we had a reunion a few years ago, and three of the original Sleep Snacks showed up, which it was, you know, again, this, this show is, a, it, it just continues to go on and on, and it's still on the air. And, you know, they did the Will Ferrell movie, which <laughs> didn't do too well, but it, it still has this sort of legacy, and, it, and it's because of the writers, because the special effects, of course, were from the seventies, no CGI. But mm-hmm. see, those those are my favorite special effects. Everything from that <laughs> era, I just love it. Well, I, I do too, actually, because there's something real about it. You know that it's not it's not faked. It's not computer generated everything that was done you know we had blue screen back then i mean we you know uh it's now green screen but Mm. back in the day it was chroma key blue and it was blue screen it was the first time it was the largest blue screen set in the world it was a complete half of a soundstage the walls the floors the sides were all made of that blue and that's where we got on there and they would shrink us down and to fit in with the uh the, where the dinosaurs were. The dinosaurs were, 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 were filmed in, on film, and we were on videotape, and they had to try to combine us onto the film, and it had never been done before. In fact, it didn't work the first show, and they panicked because they couldn't get us on the videotape to, to be with the dinosaurs on film, so they got the Disney guys in, and they worked like crazy for that week, and they finally figured the technique out and by the, by the next time we went and filmed, they were able to, we'd, we'd be on the chroma key set, they would shrink our little bodies down to fit proportion-wise to the dinosaurs, you know, and they'd say, look at that light to the left, way high, that's the dinosaur's head, now run to the right. Oh, and wow. that's how they did it. That's and cool. It was amazing. It was the first time, it, technically, it was a way ahead of its time back then. Yeah. And now, the, the, the acting talent isn't all that you contributed to Land of the Lost. You also sang the theme song, didn't you? Well, yes, I did. Well. 
Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition met the greatest earthquake ever known. High on the rapids, it struck their tiny raft. Ah! Plunged them down a thousand feet below to the land of the lost, to the land of the lost. And then Grumpy goes, roar. <laughs> oh, my God, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> so remember that he's a musician. Rest, you will, I, I, okay. I guarantee you. At, at, at the show, you're going to hear that song sung a lot. <laughs> we all sing the song, we yell, and it's it's quite we it's quite a scene. It's not we're not your usual guests. I don't think we we don't just sit around and, uh, and and sign autographs. We we have a lot of fun. Kathy and I decided a long time ago, if we're going to do this, let's make it an experience. You know, we've got to be there. People are going to be there. Let's just don't do one of those. You know. Stand next to someone and point and smile. Let's let's have fun. Yeah. So we put light, we put yellow life jackets life jackets on fans. We give yellow oars. We hop in the yellow raft. We scream like we're going over a waterfall. <laughs> it's quite a production. Well, good. Yeah, well, you know what? I think uh, Mark Wagner's going to be there. Yeah. He's got that green screen. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We do. I think there is going to be a green yeah. screen photographer there. So. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah. Fabulous. So, I want to ask about. Days of Our Lives. Now, growing up, I didn't watch Days of Our Lives or any of the soap operas necessarily by choice. No, those were my those were my, our grandmother's but programs. If you, yeah, if you were at Grandma's house, you watched it, right? You sure did. Yep. So right after we right after uh, the Price is Right. Price is Right. That's correct. So what was it like being on that episodic daytime television where you filmed five days a week and you were learning five scripts a week? Well, it was interesting because when I got Days of Our Lives, my grandmother, her favorite show was Days of Our Lives. <laughs> so when I was a little kid in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. My grandmother would be ironing and watching Days. And, of course, I didn't quite understand what was going on. But I, so every time I would – my grandmother passed away right before I, I got on the show. Mm. So she never saw me do it. Uh, but and I think she would have freaked out. I mean, seeing me being friends with – the people that she watched every day yeah. but every time i would watch the show i could always smell an iron burning mm. and from my it was just i just burned into my uh into my psychic psyche and um, um it was it was you know learning all those lines was some some days i'd have like a one page some days i'd have 30 pages to learn you know and then have a, have another script the next day and learn land of the lost for the next day too wow. so it, it it was it was a lot of work but i i felt like i was the luckiest guy in the world i mean i couldn't believe that i mean I, here's i i mean i'm a kid from hattiesburg i my, my family's not in show business i didn't have any connections there was nothing in my life that said you were going to be an actor and, uh, and and here i am you know with two tv series and running around when i got land of the lost i didn't even own a car i had i come from nothing and i've been in working in new york um and as you know a kid and i mean a, a young adult and i got to la and you know something i got these tv series and i had not, i mean i got my first tv series i got within one week auditioning on an open call and it was a show produced by the monkeys the producers of the monkeys oh wow called the called the organic vegetables starring Kay ballard and i was the lead singer um drummer for a, a rock band that we were all waiters and waitresses at an organic restaurant which back in the early 70s was you know was you know it was brand new organic stuff so we started filming that and it was all out the monkeys jumping out of 
of garbage cans are running around fountains and being silly. And then there was a writer strike and it, and, and it didn't happen. But then shortly after that, I got Days of Our Lives. So, uh, I mean, I, it happened so quickly. I had, you know, I, I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. <laughs> and so the, I remember I had to go buy a car because I got the other series. And uh, I, went to a, I went to a car auction. I'm a kid. And there was a 1951 Riley. Oh, wow. It's an English car. <laughs> and I bought this thing, which looked fabulous, but it was in the shop for three years. So, <laughs> you know. I think, we've all, I, think, I think we've all right. owned one of those. Exactly. But, you know, was, I'm a kid. I'm going, whoa, look at that, man. English car, 1951. Yeah. <laughs> didn't work but that's the <laughs> so and you you were almost a, a member of the partridge family is that correct i was yeah you know back in the day which is interesting uh, <laughs> you know i'm getting so old i've always said oh, back in the day <laughs> you know we all knew each other all these teen idols um in fact i'm doing an event in la next week uh it's teen idols from the seventies where Chris Atkins going to be there. Myself, Christy McNichol, Jimmy McNichol, Greg Evigan, BG and the bear. It's a dinner with us and, and a couple others. And, uh, we all kind of knew each other. Like Sean Cassidy, this, uh, would come to my house and, uh, like Garrett would come at my house and go swimming. This is before they had TV shows. And, uh, David Cassidy, we knew, you know, we, we, we went to parties together and stuff like that. So, and I used to record with Bobby Sherman. Oh, wow. Who, uh, Bobby would record everything, so there was David was going to leave the show, the Partridge Family, and he decided he'd had enough, and so the producers were panicked because the show was a hit, and so they decided they were going to create a storyline where David was going to have a, a a new guy move next door, which was going to be me, a best friend, and with a single dad, and he was going to go off to college, and then I'd become the lead singer of the Partridge Family, and Charlie would marry my, the guy that played my dad, so I went to Bobby's, Bobby Sherman's house, and and I recorded a song that ABC wanted me to sing. And I recorded it because I had to go lip sync for them to make sure I could do it. <laughs> and I lip synced and I got the job. And then David heard I was doing it. And he said, oh, no, I'm not leaving. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so I go, well, okay, fine. And uh, so I, I obviously didn't get to do it. So well, I had a career like that. I was supposed to play the original Gopher in Love Boat. And uh, was packing up to go. They did two pilots heading for the second pilot. And it was ABC and NBC. And NBC on Days of Our Lives, had, they both agreed I could do both shows. And then NBC pulled out on a Thursday night before I left on Friday. Oh, man. You know, it's, it's, it's yes, it's, yeah. I, I signed a contract once to host The Tonight Show in Australia out of Melbourne. And then the government wouldn't let an American in. So I took my uh, shrimp off the Barbie. And it was <laughs> like, yeah, I, I have a career of almost. <laughs> so. since, since you brought up the the uh the music and how you were friends with with sean cassidy uh, leif garrett um let's talk about that a little bit you were signed to motown records right yeah i, I was that's the honest it was mike curb who became the lieutenant governor of california it was a mike curb congregation and he had uh, curb records and he was our producer and he got it was a boy band and in fact a guy named Michael Lloyd was one of the boys in it, the singers. And Michael Lloyd, of course, is now one of the top record producers in the world. He did Michael Jackson stuff. He's done everybody. And when I went in to do the theme song for Land of the Lost, we actually went to Michael's house, and he orchestrated it. And 
I, it was in his studio that I recorded uh, the, the opening and closing theme songs for Land of the Lost. And it, but it never, obviously, obviously it did not work out well. <laughs> you never heard of us, so uh, that, you know. It, it, it says you, here you, you sang. It's in the Motown specials. <laughs> right. <laughs> it says here you sang with the Jackson 5 a few times. What what was that? What was that like? Yes, you, you, you've done your homework, haven't you? Oh, I always do homework on this, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed, guys. No, what happened was in the third season of Land of the Lost, they decided, well, Wesley should just sing. <laughs> <laughs> so the Jacksons uh, wrote the songs and the music. They were just like little, you know, 60 second tidbits. And I would go to their place. They had a in Santa Monica, California, right right next door to the Mormon Temple. It's, uh, they had an apartment house that they owned. And I went over there, and they had a little recording studio inside. And it was odd. I got to tell you, it was so odd because they didn't have, like, like on the light switches, there was no, like, wall plates. Oh. And I'm thinking, like, these guys are rich. What the heck's going on here? So I would go in, and these guys were fabulous and so talented, and they had written these little, little, little tunes for me to sing, and I recorded it there. And then we filmed it on the set, and I had this gourd guitar that I, I guess I made, four strings, and miraculously, it sounded like a full orchestra. I don't know how that all happened. Oh, but cool. <laughs> yeah. If you go on YouTube, somebody did a compilation of all those songs from the third season, and you can you can hear them all. But yeah, they were great guys, and um, they you know Chris, Sid Marty Croft uh, was was working with the Jacksons and the Osmonds, and you know they did other shows other than just the Saturday morning shows back then. So uh, you know, so they had all these contacts. In fact, when I talked to Sid, Sid still to this day, Sid's in his nineties. He's still a great friend of mine, and I don't. I, well, I, I wouldn't say I don't talk to Sid. I listen to Sid. She calls <laughs> Sid up, and I'll say hello, and that's the last I say until I say goodbye. It's like talking to your dad. It, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> it is. It truly is. <laughs> but I got to tell you, it's the best hour you could ever spend with anybody because his stories are incredible. I'm. If you go to his his uh, his. Instagram podcast every you know on a Sunday they they're all archived you can hear him talk and it's it's fascinating and it's always it's always neat to talk to someone like that where if you really pay attention you're gonna learn something whether you try to or not oh yeah you know and I, I imagine that you have a, a life full of of you know stories like that where you know when you're surrounded by some of the people you're surrounded by you can't help but learn something I, I agree with you, you know, Mikey. It's it's not that this interview would prove that I listen because I've been talking, like <laughs> but uh, normally, you know, in, in a situation, I I, I, I listen a lot because I would much rather I, I know what I know, but I sure would like to learn what I don't know. Absolutely. Yep. Well, since uh, you know we, we we've covered you know like the land of the lost and days of our lives, I want to take a little deeper dive into your career here. Uh-oh. And we're going to go into something that, that Corey and I are both big fans of. It, it's the horror genre, and it looks like you've got a couple of horror credits on here. I do. Uh, so you were yeah. the murderer, uh, Kent Kingsley, in the Toolbox Murders. Yeah, with Cameron Mitchell and Pamela Ferdin. It was the, 19, I think, 1978 or 79. It was the number one drive-in box office. Oh, wow. And it was... Uh, 
yeah, I, I, I played a murderer, and uh, it's just, it's the reviewers. I mean, we, it got panned like crazy, and it's a cult. It's now a cult classic because mm-hmm. even Stephen King, Stephen King once said, "If you have ten movies to rent for Halloween, Toolbox Murders is one of them." Yep. And so, but it started the slasher genre, really. And it, it's, it's, it, it, you know, I was doing that while I was doing Days of Our Lives, and it took me about two weeks to snap out of that character because oh. it's a really oh, wow. dark character. And what happens, and, you know, and, and Pamela and Ferton is amazing, and, and Cameron Mitchell was, you know, you know, I got to kill him. But uh, that's besides <laughs> the point. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a if if folks haven't haven't seen this, it's a great film, uh, basically about a uh, a handyman at an apartment complex that kills people with items from his toolbox. Based on a true story, mm-hmm. and we filmed about a mile away from it actually, where it actually happened. Oh wow, wow! It was it was pretty spooky. I, just to tell you, I mean, this is a side story. So this was you know the seventies, and you know, I did this movie, and it was a big hit back then. And I'm, I'm roller skating at Venice Beach. This is, of course, we're roller skating, not rollerblading, roller, roller skating. <laughs> Four wheel. Four Thank wheel. you very much. With a big old yellow stopper on the front. Oh, yeah. And the skate key. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this was a boot. Oh, okay. No, this was a boot. No, oh, please. We, we, no, we were much more sophisticated back <laughs> Back in the day in Venice Beach, it was very dangerous after dark. Um, and there were signs, big signs, do not stay after dark, morning, gangs. I mean, literally big wow. signs. So I'm, I'm at Venice Beach by myself, just enjoying the day up and down the boardwalk and stuff. I'm not paying attention at a time. And suddenly I realized that the streetlights are coming on. And I'm looking around and everybody's gone. And I'm in a very isolated part of Venice Beach. And I am being surrounded by a gang of guys big guys mm. and they're and they're on roller skates <laughs> just like da-da-da, just like when you're a jet you're a jet <laughs> sorry right? the jets and the sharks <laughs> but, but these were scary guys these were these were these were real guys these were real real uh, street gang and i'm terrified and i'm standing there and this big guy comes they're literally surrounding me and one guy he comes roller skating over to me and I'm shaking like a leaf. And he goes, you an actor? And I go, yeah. He goes, toolbox murders? I go, yeah. He goes, me no screw with you, man. Me no screw with you. <laughs> and he, he said, because I scared him in the movie. I'm, oh, I'm my changing God. The word screw. He didn't say screw, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm up. And, uh, and, and these guys, because I scared them in the movie. They said they were going to, gonna, they were afraid of me. And uh, so when I would go roller skating back at Venice, these guys would see me and they'd come roller skating over and go, hey, Wesley, we're going to skate with you today. Nobody's going to bother you. And they became friends of mine for a short period of time. And, you know, who knows what happened in their lives afterwards. But, uh, you know, you, you never know how a performance is going to affect your life. It actually saved mine. Right. So, wow, that's crazy. Well, speaking of, uh, I, I, I know that you, there's probably a story behind this one. You were in another movie. You played Pitt Lassiter in Jennifer, which is a movie about a girl that has mental control over snakes. Yeah, Lisa Pelican. Yes, and you got uh, eaten by a snake in this movie. Is that right? Ah, oh, yes. It was. It was. Carrie had come out. It was a hit. The movie, okay. which was one of the best, you know, 
horror films ever. And this was the answer. It was another high school girl that could conjure snakes instead of fire. And so, yeah, I was one of the bad boys. And it, 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 there was one scene where it was a, where the snakes were all over me and, and going to bite my head off and stuff like that. So we were filming this thing, and in, we were on location someplace, and they have a snake handler. And it's this guy with a giant aquarium filled with different colored snakes. Now, they're not poisonous, but they're, you could pick a red, a green, or whatever you wanted, black and white, anything you wanted for the director. And it's, he was this old guy. Well, at the time, he was an old guy to me. But his hands were all gnarled because he'd been bitten by snakes so many times. And he... We were staying there, and I was going to go film this scene, and he, he said, well, here, 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 here's the snake. And he, he hands me this gopher snake, this big gopher snake. And like an idiot, I'm petting it like it's a puppy. <laughs> I really am. I'm so stupid. And suddenly the, the snake rears back and is, is, is about to strike my face. Oh. And that guy, the handler, immediately reaches his hand and puts it over my face, and the snake bites his hand. Wow. And they go, Wesley, on set. And what? <laughs> I'm now shaking. They now are wrapping live snakes all around me, on my head, around my neck. I'm holding them like they're, I'm pretending like they're, I'm holding them back like they're trying to attack me. And I'm, you know. So I do this fantasy, like this, this fantasy thing. And we, they have all these snakes on me, and I'm holding their heads, and, and I'm screaming, and they're, you know, they're doing the filming and stuff. I scared the snakes so much that they pooped all over me. Oh, I man. I was covered in snake poop, and the smell was unbelievable. Oh, they God. said, cut. I jumped. I threw my clothes off. I jumped in a shower, and the director comes running and goes, Wesley, no, it was so good. We want to do it again. I go, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a one and done for me. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I figured if I'm scaring the snakes, that's enough. Yeah, that's, that's, that was a good performance there. <laughs> now, when I'm when I'm doing research, one of my favorite things about doing interviews like this is I do my research. Sometimes I'm rem I sometimes I discover things I didn't know, but sometimes I'm reminded of things I forgot about. I absolutely love this next film, and I completely forgot about it. Chomps. Oh, yeah. The robot dog. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so, what? Uh, that was a Hanna-Barbera film in 1979. Hanna-Barbera, it was, I mean, the biggest cast, starring list in the world. It was, Valerie Bertinelli was my girlfriend, uh, Conrad Bain, mm -hmm. uh, Jim Backus, Hermione Badley, uh, Oh my God! Red buttons. Red buttons, yeah. Uh, it, uh, it, 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 the cast was extraordinary, and it was Hanna Barbera's first big attempt to do live action rather than cartoons. And I invent—it's like a Disney film. I invent a mechanical watchdog that becomes because uh, I worked for a security company, which was uh, Conrad Bain and, and Valerie's dad. And my, my my best part was I got to give Valerie Bertinelli her first big screen kiss. Because, I mean, come on, she was the prettiest girl I thought on television oh, yeah. one day at a time. Yeah. You know, and we used to hang out. You know, there was a bunch of us. Again, you know, everybody knew each other back then. Like, I'd hang out with uh, Linda Blair and Valerie and Mackenzie Phillips and oh, uh, Annie Lockhart, June Lockhart's daughter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but but we, you know, we got to do this amazing film. And, it, you know, it, it, it's still, I just did the... Uh, the DVD was just re-released, uh, and so was uh, 
Toolbox Murders, and I just did the behind the scenes for both of those films on the DVD release or the Blu-ray, the Blu-ray release. Oh, very cool. And uh, no, it was wonderful. Uh, I, <laughs> I remember Chomps and Toolbox Murders kind of came out about the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's a rainy day in Hollywood. I have a bunch of friends, and one of my movies is playing on Hollywood Boulevard, and I hadn't seen it on a big screen. And my friends said, "Let's all go! Let's all go!" So we go. It's this rainy, rainy, rainy day. So there's nobody there. It's in the it's in the early afternoon. It's kind of cold, which is unusual for Hollywood. And we're sitting there, and suddenly it's toolbox murders, and it begins with all these murders and shower scenes and slaughtering and stuff. And I look down the aisle, and all my friends have their jackets over their heads, hiding their faces. <laughs> and my and Lisa, this girl I was living with at the time, she whispers to me, she goes, Wesley, I thought this was the Hanna-Barbera movie. <laughs> <laughs> when does the robot dog come out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> discovered uh, you had a game show on Nickelodeon. I did. Finders Keepers. Two, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, it was the number one game show. We actually beat out Double Dare, uh, Mark wow. Summers. That's huge. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's big. I love, listen, I love game shows. I, you know, I, I was a regular on a lot of the games, as a star, as a, as a guest star, like on Password and Match Game mm-hmm. back in the old days with Alan Ludden. And, you know, I, I, I got to play against, like in Password, I played uh, against Elizabeth Montgomery and Betty White, oh, wow. uh, Vicki Lawrence, you know, Susan, uh, Susan Richardson, uh, you know, uh, just a lot, a lot of them. I, I became a regular sort of, and, uh, and and my best day was the I got a I was in there we were about to film because we we filmed five shows in one day right so you bring five outfits so it looks like it's a whole week of shows half hour yeah. shows yeah um, I'm at the studio at NBC in the morning and one of the producers come in and said Wesley listen would you mind teaching Lucille Ball how to play the new end game of of called alphabetics of this password I go Lucille Ball are you crazy yes <laughs> so my mother I because I. We filmed Days of Our Lives in Burbank, and I had a couple houses in Burbank I bought. And um, I called my mother, and I said, Mom, what are you doing today? She goes, nothing. I said, you want to spend the day with Lucille Ball? Oh, that, I would have jumped all over that. And, yeah. and Lucy came in, and she stayed the whole day in my dressing room, and I'd go do the half-hour show, come back, change clothes in front of her, and we'd talk about the end game and the clues and how it worked and all that stuff. And... Uh, Recently, I ran into her daughter, who also lives in Palm Springs, Lucy Arnaz, who I'd known for years and years and years. We used to call her Little Lucy, although she's almost six feet tall. Uh, and in fact, I think she is. And uh, I said, you know, you know, you know, Lucy, I, I taught your mom how to play password. She goes, I know, you did a good job. And uh, but it was, uh, I mean, that was just a day that I will never forget. I mean, to have, I mean, to have that experience with 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 big Lucy was, uh, I mean, extraordinary. I mean, come on, you know, if, you, if you're a TV guy like I am and, and I love history, especially now, I mean, that's, that's the Roy, that's royalty. Oh and I yeah. Absolutely. All day with her. Now in so. just in having a conversation with you before we started recording, I learned something that blew my mind. You opened Slammer's gym. I did. It was the very first professional wrestling gym teaching TV acting. 
aging <laughs> to, to TV wrestling uh, in Los Angeles. Um, Vern Langdon, whose idea this was, was a huge wrestling fan. He was my makeup artist on Days of Our Lives. Oh, wow. But a huge wrestling guy. And so he said, Listen, he said, I've got a ring. I want to open up a gym. I said, well, let's call it Slammers. And the two of us went and found a location. I mean, we ended up in Sun Valley, in, in, just in the, you know, out, outside Los Angeles. And we built this gym. And so we wanted to do like a museum to honor some of the old greats. So the first thing we thought was Gorgeous George. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Gorgeous, of course, had been long gone. But we called his mistress, who lived in Apple Valley, California. And we called her, or Vern called her. And she said, yeah, come on, I got stuff in the garage. So we drove up to Apple Valley, and we go in her garage, and then all these boxes with Nildewey and stuff, and we it, was, it had gorgeous George's marabou jackets and robes yeah. and slippers and, and things, and some of them were beyond repair. But we found a couple of, of his wardrobes that were, were still salvageable, and we took those with us, and we did a whole display, a tribute to gorgeous. Uh, in the gym, and our teacher was the fabulous Moolah uh, <laughs> at the time, which was one of the top lady wrestlers. Oh yeah, for yeah, for and for many years, yeah, yeah. And 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 in the last few years, because uh, Glow Girl, you know, the, the Glow Girls uh, from wrestling, I, I do a show here and there, and one of them would come and say, "Hey, I I studied at your at, at Slammers," uh, you know. So yeah, so that was just one of my little. Uh, That's awesome. Side jobs. That's that's amazing and something that was something I I didn't know. No. Uh, and you know, <clears throat> excuse me. With with us being huge wrestling fans, I, I, that blew me away. Absolutely blew and, me and away. Burn passed away a, a, a while back. And the, I mean, the gym it, it closed a long time ago. Um, but it, it for a brief moment, you know, we I remember opening when we opened it. We had everybody from. Uh, Every news broadcast was there for the opening day. We had uh, guys with hot dog carts out there feeding everybody and doing some some uh, demonstration wrestling. But we had, you know, the, you know, I, I can't really think of the names of the shows back in the days. But uh, but E Entertainment and everybody were all there for the opening. It was it was quite a, it was quite a a moment in time. Wow, that's awesome. So I I wanted to talk about uh, some things that you've created um, for children. Um, we start out, you, you've written a number of children's books. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about those a little bit maybe? Because uh, you had some pretty pretty notable folks uh, connected to those as well. Yeah, I, I, my first my first kids and album, my first book ever was called The Red Wings of Christmas and still available on Amazon. Um, and uh, it got optioned by Disney for an animated feature and I wrote the screenplay and the songs for Disney. Disney spent a... Uh, Spent a year doing it, and they sit sitting on a shelf. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's a, and I've written. You know, I, I lecture to kids. I used to teach a class uh, about how to write a book. Uh, I go, I, I like the school district of Phoenix would fly me in for the week, and I do like five classes a day with you know anywhere between uh, you know fifty to five hundred kids at, at a time. And we would all write a book together out loud, orally, and then illustrate it within an hour. It was it was a raucous and, and scream-filled uh, an hour, you know, and it was a lot of fun. 
it's kind of hard to do that. I got to tell you now because kids, I I can't control them as well as I used to. Uh, <laughs> I, I it, understand it, that. It, I have a house full of them myself. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the same. I used to be able to say shut up and, and whatever I need to say. With, I mean, I've done it in front of a thousand kids for real, a thousand <sighs> kids, and I could control them just me. The last time I did it, I was at a school in Palm Springs, and uh, and I literally, the teachers were yelling, shut up, shut up, shut up. It was like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't have the control. Kids have changed. <laughs> so, but no, I've written, you know, I've written a bunch of stuff, and uh, and of course, then I, I created Dragon Tales for PBS, mm-hmm. uh, which ran for 10 years, uh, from 2000 up, and it was all over the world. It was... Uh, um, live shows and toys and stuffed animals and it was it was produced by uh, children's television workshop which is the sesame street people and uh sony pictures and there were three creators and i'm one of them and there and i got the job because i was producing and writing totally hidden video for fox which was a hidden camera show i remember that show that, yeah, show, was, that. that show was fun yeah it was so much fun it was about i, I not only helped create i created the, you know, the stories and, and the, the the bits to do, but I would cast myself as the waiter in the hidden camera bit or something. I made more money as an actor than I did as a writer producer on that show. Oh wow! But Jim Cohen, who uh, moved over to Sony, his son's favorite book was The Red Wings of Christmas, and he called me up and said, "Listen, I, PBS is uh, is looking. They've got sixteen million dollars. They're offering for a new kids show, and Sesame Street wants it." And, the Muppets want it. Everybody wants it. I, I found some dragon drawings down at Laguna Beach Art Festival by Ron Rudiker. And uh, can you come in and, and, and maybe put this together? And I did. Wrote it in three days. I created a companion show, which was required by PBS to sell the show. I had that second show. So I based that on my lecture series to kids called uh, Show and Tell Me. And within a week, we we won it. We won the $60 million. Wow. Oh, wow. And, and it ran for t- about 10 years. And it's so much fun because I go to shows now and because the kids that watch Dragon Tales are in their 20s. And in fact, J-Lo actually named her kids after the characters on Dragon Tales. Oh, no Max kidding. And M- yeah, Max and Emmy. And I just, I, I just watched, listen, I watched a movie on Netflix two nights ago. It's called After Life of the Party. About a girl that dies. It's kind of a comedy. She dies and stuff. All the characters were named after characters from Dragon Tales. Oh, wow. Max, Emmy, Cassie, and it was it was not a coincidence. It can't so be. It, no, it's yeah. amazing how the ripples in into culture. So, but that's, uh, that's yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, but 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 the Red Wings of Christmas is a, it. It's very Dickensian. It's about a little boy, a baby that's washed overboard on a wooden cradle into the Thames River. And he's raised by an old washerwoman named Tezariah. And one night, he loses everything he loves. Tezzy dies, all sorts of... It's horrible. And he finds himself under the Tower Bridge, all alone. He's eight years old, named Albert. And something falls on him. And he doesn't know what it is, but it's cold. And it turns out it's a sack. And he crawls inside the opening. And it turns out it's Father Christmas's toy sack. And he crawls inside and enters this world where no child has been. It's this infinite world where every broken toy goes. So no toy has ever died. Every time a toy is not to be played with and not to be loved, because even a, even a broken toy can be loved, but when, when a toy is sure that it's not to be played with anymore, its heart, the little heart comes out, breaks in half, 
circles the toy to make sure it's truly his time to leave. And the two halves of the heart light on the back of the toy, unfurl, and become these large red wings of Christmas. Mm. And they fly every broken toy from to, into Father Christmas's toy sack, where they enter this world to be repaired, modernized, whatever it takes to find a new family. And it's the story of this little boy who goes into this world and what he discovers about himself. That sounds amazing. That yeah, that's a great that's a great story. Yeah. And the book was the book was illustrated by uh, by Horshack. Oh wow. Ron Tillo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mr. Carter. <laughs> <laughs> I had seen Ron's drawing. Ron was a Ron's just passed on, and uh, he was an amazing artist and very pen and ink, very very old English woodcut sort of thing, and that's what I wanted because. My book takes place in the 1850s, and he did some amazing illustrations. If, if you get a chance, go take a look at it, either on my Facebook or, or go, you know, go to Amazon and download it. But his illustrations are just beautiful and and complex and really sophisticated. And I and Ron said, "Can I illustrate your book?" And I said, "He's and I because I'd seen his work." I said, "Absolutely," and the publisher agreed, and and the rest is history. Now, uh, to kind of uh, to to kind of wrap up here a little bit, you do a lot of, of fundraising and charity work. And I do. Yeah. Is there is there any um, any causes that you want to kind of uh, put on a, a a pedestal or shine a spotlight on right now that we have uh, some folks listening? Well, Kathy and I are actually doing an event called Lip Sync for Your Life. I they're lip, not lip, lip sync for a cure. Uh, for the American Cancer Society, we're doing a big event in Palm Springs coming up at the end of uh, I think the end of April. Um, so, but yeah, I, I used to produce huge fundraisers, uh, celebrity fundraisers, especially in the Palm Springs area, and we'd have eighty-five performers. Oh wow! And raise money for seven different charity charities, including the uh, uh, the AIDS charities and, and Shelter from the Storm, Battered Women, uh, Breast Cancer. We did. We, we funded and created the first charity that offered free mobile mammograms to women, no matter what their means were. If they were rich or poor, you didn't have to prove it. You just went and got a mobile a mammogram. Wow. And the organization started because of us, the money we gave them. And they said, um, the first year they, they called me up and said, Wesley, we just saved two women's lives because of the money you raised. That they would, these ladies would never have known that they were endangered and they were able to go get treatment and 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 stop the breast cancer so those kind of moments when you you know where your money has actually gone and it has a clear effect on a community that's why we do it so exactly right and and more people should get involved in you know whatever whatever cause more people should get involved in helping others absolutely absolutely giving is the best listen when you feel you're missing something in your life Go give it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling lonely, then go go see somebody that may be feeling more lonely than you. It's I mean I'm not trying to proselytize. I apologize, but it's true. You know you give what you need, and it's it's amazing how it enriches your soul. And suddenly you just don't need it anymore. Right, right. If anybody wanted to uh, to contact you or, or kind of keep up with uh, with what's going on in your life, do you have uh, social media or website that you'd like to plug? Way too much. <laughs> <laughs> but as podcasters, you know exactly what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. 
But yeah, yeah, Wesley Ure, E U R E, uh, Facebook. There's a fan page. There's a personal page. There's Instagram. Um, you know, you private message me. You can hook up. I'm, I'm, I'm very, and I have a website, WesleyUre.com, and there's ways to contact me, reach me, and and learn way more than you would ever want to know about me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but we'll definitely put the uh, the link for your website in our show notes and and in our posts that we do. Um, nice. And uh, and yeah, if if anybody listening is in the area, come out to to meet Wesley at the uh, the Grand Comic Fest Five. It's in Grand Island, Nebraska, August twenty first through twenty third. Um, before we let you go, is there any anything you want to say to folks that? that are listening, folks that might come see you, any kind of closing statement you want to make for this, uh, this great interview? I'm just happy to be invited guys. Thank you so much for being on your show. And oh, thank you know, you. It, thank you so much. It, it, well, it really, and you guys, <laughs> you know, I've talked enough. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody listening right now is going, could he just shut up? <laughs> no, they're they're used to us. So, yeah, yeah, we uh, never shut up either. No. <laughs> we we started out as an hour show, and now we run at least three hours yeah. per show. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say yeah, don't, don't invite Sid Croft on; it'll go for five. So. <laughs> hey, if he would come on our show, we would let it go for five. We'd yeah, oh we'd have God. to do that. We'd have to do that here, not at my place. Yeah. <laughs> Sid is actually doing a show this weekend in Dallas now, and the fact that he's traveling and doing this is really is remarkable. Um, we did a, a, a cross con for the very first one ever in Oakland, California, the Orinda Theater uh, last year, with you know uh, with a bunch of the Croft people from. Uh, uh, it, it, it was it was it was extraordinary from Johnny Whitaker from Sigmund the Sea Monster and uh, Butch Patrick and. Oh, wow. uh, Chris, uh, uh, one of the Brady Bunch people, because you know they Sid Marty Croft did the Brady Bunch Hour too, and it was yeah. just it was interesting. And both Sid and Marty were there. It was quite an event for some. It never happened. Wow! Yeah, the first autograph I ever got was from Truck Shackley and the Texas Critters off the uh, Mandrell Sisters show. Oh no, kidding! My dad worked with them. Yeah. Wow! Of course, yeah, they did the Mandrell show, didn't they? Yeah, they did, and the, yeah, the, all the Croft puppets were on there. It was, it was amazing. That's cool. Yeah. Well, so, you know, Sid started. Sid started. He was seven years old. He was the he was in the Barman Bailey Circus. He was listed in the Freak Show hmm. as the youngest puppeteer in the world. And he talks about this. And of course, the Freak Show was back in the day in the, in the Barnum and Bailey days. There was a hierarchy from the trapeze artists being the the A listers to Freak Show being absolutely the lowest of the low. Yeah. He was seven years old. He did two half seasons there because he couldn't last the whole time. He just couldn't handle it. But he would sell these 25-cent puppets that you could buy, and he told everybody not to open it until they got home. And the reason he did that is because they didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's so funny. That's great. Uh. So I tell you, we're really looking forward to to, uh, to meeting you out at, in Grand Island, and uh, you know, we're, we encourage everyone that's listening. If you if you can make it, please come out because you've heard all these great stories. You can hear more, and you can actually get to know uh, Wesley a little bit better in person. 
And Kathy will be there, uh, yes. Holly. Yes, and Kathy she, will be there. Yeah. She is, wait till you meet her. She is so much fun and as beautiful as ever. So it has been a pleasure talking to you, Wesley, and I really appreciate you coming on with us. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank th- you. Thank you, and we'll see you next month. Okay, take care. Take care. Thank you. like to binge watch TV? Did you know you could binge listen to podcasts? Head over to electronicmediacollective.com where they have podcasts for days. Do you like podcasts about wrestling? They have that. Do you like podcasts about TV and film? They have that. Do you like podcasts about horror? EMC has that too. Do you like comedy? Do you like books? Guess what? They've got you covered. Head over to electronicmediacollective.com Pick your favorite podcast today.